Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I am, of course, your host, Harry Potvin, and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Hannah Linnea. Hannah is a health coach and an eating disorder recovery advocate. She helps people overcome sabotaging food habits and master body image so that they can gain confidence and find joy in their life. Hannah was such a blast to have Vaughn, and I really want to thank her again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Now, before we get into the episode, I do want to specify that I'm going to put a trigger warning on this one just because we dive into eating disorders and, you know, the mental state of people who are experiencing eating disorders and everything like that. So if these are things that may potentially trigger you, please just just log out of the episode now. Also, if you're listening to this on the day that it's released, yesterday was Bell Let's Talk Day for all you lovely Canadians. And while I love how Bell Let's Talk Day promotes the conversation of mental health and promotes getting help for the mental health challenges that you're experiencing, I do kind of feel like it's become the Valentine's Day for mental health. So yes, while Bell Let's Talk Day is done, the conversation of mental health shouldn't be. Mental health challenges and mental health conversations are not a trendy thing. They're not a temporary thing. They happen 365 days of the year, 24 hours of the day. This is a constant conversation that we got to keep pushing with. Remember that if you are struggling out there, there is no shame in getting help. There is no shame in reaching out and you deserve that help that you desperately want. Now, before we get into the episode today, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Show for someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to y'all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. two, one. We are good to go. Hannah, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Hello, Harry. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and things are going really well, except it's cold, but it's good. <laughs> yes. The life of a Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> big, time. big time. So <laughs> before we get too into anything, what got you inspired to become an advocate for both body dysmorphia and eating disorder recovery? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there's my whole life essentially. Uh, I started, I struggled since I was a little girl with body dysmorphia. Like I remember some of my earliest memories were body fixations. So like that would, for people who don't know what that is, that would be like a, like an obsessive checking your body for like to see if you're good enough, quote unquote. And like, so for me, I would like constantly lift up my shirt, like, and look at my stomach or like, you know, I would do different things to see and assess if I was okay. So I'd like feel for certain bones. And, you know, I started that when I was really young, I like mm-hmm. seven years old. So very young. And then I started, I starved myself the first time when I was 11. And then I didn't really understand that you know, it was anything other than I I thought I didn't like my appearance. And then as I grew up and got older, like I'm 28 now. So throughout my 20, my teens and early twenties, I was always very uncomfortable in my own skin. And I just thought it was because my body wasn't good enough. And then, (laughs) and then when I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do a weight, I'm going to, you know, do weight loss and all these things. And I, I went, down the path of like weight loss. And like, I became like a fitness person. I had people following me and like asking me for workouts and meal plans and all that kind of stuff. But meanwhile, I was, um, I was 
really harming myself. I was, I had gone down the path of like obsessive food intake and then like obsessive, like calorie counting. And then it turned into bulimia, like trigger warning. I don't know if you do that, but like, yeah. yeah. And then, um, I remember I went to the doctor and I was like crying and I was like crying because I was scared of gaining weight, not because I was, you know, hurting, harming myself. I was engaging in self-harm through my, the eating disorder. And then throughout that time as well, my dad had passed away and like, I was like traveling all the time and I was very volatile and every, everything in my life always blew up and there was always something wrong. And I was, I never had any true friends, like long-term friends. Cause I was so volatile and I'd cut people off and cause I didn't trust them or felt like they didn't actually like me. <laughs> mm. I'm laughing about this. Cause yeah, the, you're, you're getting a full mouthful right now, by the way. I no, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Good. And then um, the, and then when I, I went to the doctor and I was crying about like gaining weight, she was like, you, you have an eating disorder. Like you have to, you have to get treatment. And I was like, oh, I, and I was shocked. I had no idea that I was like, I knew I, what I was doing was like stressful because I was like very overwhelmed all of the time, but I didn't know that it was like, okay, we're going to admit you, you're going to go and get better. And I was like, hell no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had just graduated with my master's in Toronto. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I can't tell my family. I'm so, I, and my family was like, what's going on with you? Like something isn't right. And they were like, maybe you should get some antidepressants. Like what's going on. And I wasn't diagnosed with anything other than that. I knew I had bulimia. Well, I was, well, I kind of did like at the same, I was still in denial. So I was too ashamed to tell anybody. So I ran away to Mexico mm. and I was like, I'm going to be a digital nomad. And like, that's kind of how I got my online platform. That's how we kind of got connected. And then I was doing a lot of well, how I connected to everybody it was kind of like the basis a few years back in 2019, where I, um, I decided I wanted to make money online and travel the world. But in reality, I was just away from, I was just living in Mexico, which is much more affordable. I was away from anybody who knew me. So all I could really, so it, it really allowed my eating disorder to take over. And like my life consisted of in Mexico, like walking as much as possible, working out as much as possible, like surviving off a cappuccino every few hours until dinner. And then for dinner, I would just have like a massive salad. Mm. And then, you know, and then I fell into an abusive relationship with a fellow Canadian down there. And it went from like zero to a thousand in like three weeks. Mm. And that was a whole that was, that was the eye-opening experience where your life always blows up in your face and you always feel like you're in danger from other people because you can't even be safe with yourself. So of course you're going, and it, I just kind of had like this really scary, like do or die moment with that ex. And I realized that like, I don't have to live this way. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I can be okay. Maybe I can be happy for more than a few months at a time. Maybe I don't always need to be fixated on getting to the next destination or losing 10 more pounds or anything like that. So that was in summer of 2020. So shortly after the pandemic started. And then since then, I've just, I haven't really looked back. Like I left that relationship. I came to my hometown. Um, 
And I was like, I, all I want every day is to feel like I belong and to feel stability and to be able to call somebody up and like laugh and listen to what they have to say rather than like joke around and have fun rather than always being afraid that they're, they don't like me or that they're out, you know, that I don't, it was, for me, it was all about belonging. Like there is different for everybody, especially with eating disorders. But for me, it was just like, I hate myself. I need to shrink my body because I feel like I don't belong. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up here. And now I always talk about it because I didn't know I was engaging in numbing behaviors my entire life until I became aware that I was, I didn't have any direction or like conviction in my life choices. Instead, I was always running away, even though at the time I was like, no, I want to travel, which I did, but I didn't have a, a, the inner dialogue I needed to understand that I can do all these things, but there doesn't have to be volatility alongside it. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like at the time, I'm sure if, if, you know, it feels like the right thing, you're traveling, you're working out, you have this new platform, everyone's like, oh, I love your stuff. You you must definitely think you're on the right path there. Yeah, that's it totally. That's a really good. Yeah, it was very. I view it as feeding the distortion and like feeding the dysmorphic life I was living and how like I couldn't even see myself clearly. And to this day, I can't like I, you know, and so I've had to develop a new way to think about life and to conceptualize myself. And so that's a big reason why I speak so openly about my my story and like talk about eating disorders and body dysmorphia because it's confusing. Mm-hmm. It's you know, and like, I've been in treat, I've been in and out of therapy for 10 years and like focused on treatment for two years. And I'm still learning so much and unpacking so much. So it's crazy. It's very complex. So I try to put things out there and like simplify it. Although sometimes I'm a little all over the place with my thoughts. Like I always have so much to say, as you can probably hear right now. (laughs) What? No, come on. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't remember what your question was. No, I think you, no, you answered it. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. No. Now I wanted to go back a little bit when, when you were talking about how you said you felt like you didn't belong and that no one actually wanted you around and people didn't like the way you looked, everything. Did those ideas just slowly build up over time? Like where did, where did they originate from? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm actually really happy you asked that because a lot of the times people think that like body dysmorphia and eating disorders are out of vanity and like it's influenced by media, which to a certain extent, obviously environmental circumstances like contribute to bringing an eating disorder and like body dysmorphia to life. And so environmental would include the social aspects and then upbringing and um, genetic predisposition. And so like, there's a lot of things already within a human who might have it come to life. So, and I definitely, I'm not the only person in my family who lives with or has lived with an eating disorder, like um, a number of people have. So 
you know, there's the genetic predisposition part of it. I think hence why, like at such a young age, I became very fixated on like only eating salads, making sure that I go for a walk every day after dinner. Um, but then to another point of that, it was brought to life through like what I saw, I guess, in the media, but I was so young, like it was more my upbringing and, um, there, I've done like trauma therapy for this sort of thing, which I'm sure a lot of people who might be listening to this do trauma therapy. Um, so my trauma therapy, we did like visualizations and stuff. And like, I don't really have many memories pre seven, six or seven years old, which mm. I don't know if that's normal or not. I don't really know. But like my memories when they start um, involve me getting up every morning and like checking my stomach. So it's, um, it's definitely a coping skill a feeling of like feeling like I have some sense or sense of like purpose or belonging or control control is like a, yeah so I don't know it's hard to answer that but it's been a, a lifelong thing and of course it got exacerbated and became more consuming after like my dad had passed away and then like I just um, went on to the weight loss journey and like Instagram, of course, like I remember scrolling through Instagram and seeing like girls who were like their before photo was what my my body was. And I was like, oh my God, I need to change my body. And that's, that happened when I was around like 19 or 20, but like, I mean, I was already down that path. I already didn't, wasn't comfortable with who I was or at that time in who, how my body looked. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, that before after thing. I've I've had that before too. Guys will post like before I, I was fat and disgusting. I'm like, damn, bro, I look just like that. Can you relax a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> kind of rude. Yeah, it is, and I, yeah, those photos are impactful. Like I, I, it was right after my dad passed away, uh, with like within a few months when I saw that photo on Instagram, and that's when you know it was the perfect storm. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, but when, before your dad passed, were you like getting help or was it just, was your eating disorder kind of still there and it just kind of got enhanced afterwards? Yeah. So my, I, the first time I was in the hospital and I was 12 years old with a nutritionist and like, um, being told that I need to eat more and like how to have a balanced diet, but I didn't know that like, that was the beginning of like <laughs> lifelong help for knowing how to eat. Right. <laughs> um, but no, I didn't, I had started trauma therapy when I was, I think 18, but it wasn't specified for an eating disorder. It was only in 2019. So yeah, when I was 25, where mm. I was, uh, getting specific, where I it brought, I brought it to my doctor's attention on my own will that I was afraid of gaining weight. Right. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's only in the past couple of years where I've had specific eating disorder treatment. Was that hard to do going to your doctor and admitting it? Yeah. Like, as I, as I mentioned, like, I didn't know I had an eating disorder. Like I, I knew, like I told her that I was like, yeah, I just, I, we're going to do a trigger warning before this, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Don't good. worry. Yeah. So I like, I didn't realize that I was like binging on, well, I was like just drinking coffee all day and then like not eating all day. And then by the end of the night, I would just eat a lot. And then I, I would, because I had been starving myself successfully leading up to 
at a certain point where bulimia kicked in and was starving myself. I was on a weight loss journey, but obviously I, it was coming from a very disordered place for me. So I went to the doctor and I was like, Petra, cause I couldn't control myself around food. And then I would purge. So I just went to the doctor and I said that like, I was telling her what I would do. And I was like, I'm trying getting my steps in. I'm like trying to meet my calories. Like I'm trying to lose weight, but like, I just can't control myself around food. And I can't. And I was like, I broke down. I was like, I just, I eat all the food and I'm crying. And I like told her about the purging and it wasn't even labeled bulimia at that point. All I knew is that I needed to get into a clinic and get eating disorder treatment because I was throughout that time underweight, but I wasn't like completely skeletal, like how some people picture an eating disorder. Like I was being glorified on Instagram for like the leanness and everything for my body. Um, so just kind of sad, but I mean, I was being dishonest and very deceptive to myself, the people in my life. And of course to Instagram being like, yeah, I know how to balance my calories and my stress. And <laughs> me stuck in bed all the time where I'd only get up for, I couldn't even hold a job. Like I had two jobs throughout this time, quit them both. I couldn't even handle a job, which, you know, another reason why it's so important to talk about this because people's lives are completely put on hold when it comes to, you know, any mental health condition and then an eating disorder as well. Right. I, f I feel like with eating disorders too, there's like, um, like obviously you have to mention trigger warnings, but there's like this uncomfortable feeling when people bring it up. Like, oh, we don't really want to talk about that because it's just, it's such a taboo topic. Like when you, when you first heard that, you know, you might have bulimia, you might have this eating disorder, like what's going through your head when you hear that because of the, you know, the yeah. projection that it has in the media. Yeah. I was horrified. Like th that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I was horrified, like shocked. I'm like, and then after bulimia, it turned into anorexia. Like I wouldn't, I didn't eat for a few, a couple months, like very spora sporadically. And like when I was di and it diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, I was like, like now too, it's like, it's so emotional. It's like, what, mm. this is what anorexia is. I, it's not what I thought it was. And it was kind of like, and I remember calling my boyfriend, um, bawling. And I was like, I have anorexia. And he was like, okay, we'll get through this. And I remember, um, alongside talking to the doctor initially about bulimia and then like a year later getting the anorexia diagnosis. Um, I, yeah, I, didn't realize I had these, the diagnoses and I completely forget where I was going along with that, but like, it's overwhelming. Like it's a definitely an overwhelming thing because it, it's like, it's like shocking. It's like, I have to talk about this because this is, we can like, before it gets to the point where people start to notice that somebody has an issue with food, like there's can be intervention before, like your life doesn't, you don't have to feel like you don't belong. You don't have to feel like you have to shrink yourself to feel like you're okay. And I don't know, I just want to talk about it and normalize it and like, just normalize the fact like less, like last night, for example, like I've had whenever, so recovery, I feel like it's kind of an ongoing thing. It's kind of an addictive 
um, coping skill. Mm -hmm. If like, people who go for treatment for eating disorders can also go for a treatment, like a similar treatment with alcoholism. And like when I get really stressed in life, the first thing that goes is like normal food habits that I've had to teach myself. And so like whenever I miss food, it's like, hold up, there's something going on. And like, just like straight away, it's like, what's going on? Why are you stressed right now? Cause I now know that I have to ask myself that. Cause I know it's not actually, you know, the sandwich that is the problem. Right. <laughs> I yeah. now know it's just like, okay, you're stressed right now. And so like when I'm under a lot of stress, like at family gatherings, people are talking about like weight loss and um, like the right timing, when to eat food. And like, I had to train, learn that I'm, it's okay to eat what you want when you want. And there aren't consequences. Like it doesn't diminish your value. And so to this day, like when I hear those conversations, I just have to be like, it's okay. I'm okay. People talking about that doesn't mean that I don't belong in this world. Um, yeah. And then body dysmorphia as well. I didn't, I wasn't told I had body dysmorphia. I remember sitting with my therapist <laughs> and I was like telling her about this thing. I was like, maybe my body doesn't look as different as I, as it, as I think it does. And I remember I like put on like clothes that I would use to wear. And like, if I could wear those jeans on that on a specific day it meant that I was okay mm. like I was an okay person and um I remember on one day I felt really horrible about my body and I was like and then I was like maybe it's not my body maybe maybe I can put on those jeans right now and they'll fit so <laughs> I went I put on the jeans and they fit <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> Yeah, it was like mind blowing. I was like, whoa, I was like, well, I can't believe they fit right now. I feel like a whale, but they fit. I'm like, something isn't right. And I remember I like went to the therapist like the next day or like a couple days later. I was like, I think I have body dysmorphia. And I was like, so shocked. I like walked her through this process. <laughs> she saved my life. Like my therapist is amazing. Um, and like, I was, I think I have body dysmorphia. She just raised her eyebrows slowly and like slowly nodded her head. She's like, mm -hmm. I was like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it's like. So I remember like telling her that the same fear existed, but then saying it and like her kind, and then me being able to laugh about it. I was like, okay. So there's all this stigma around it because it's so misunderstood. And yeah, like, obviously I'm on, like, I don't think it's the right way to handle those like conversations around weight loss. Like, I don't think the right thing is to be like, can you not talk about this? Because I'm at least the place where I'm at in my recovery, I'm comfortable not saying, don't talk about this. Like I'm comfortable being able to say, I'm okay. Them talking about this doesn't mean anything that's not they they're thinking about their body it's okay um and that's another reason why I like to talk about eating disorders because we don't need to it's, po it's possible to empower the person experiencing the eating disorder to know that they're okay and that the rest that everybody doesn't need to be afraid about talking about food around them or like you know that's kind of a big reason why I think 
the way I talk about eating disorders is important because it's really about you're okay as you are. Like, yeah, there's weight loss conversations everywhere all the time. So maybe instead of trying to silence everything, like maybe try to silence that voice in your head that tells you that you're not good enough, you know? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't like hesitating to talk about things also just make you feel worse if you're in that situation though? Like when people are like, we don't want to talk about that in front of, you know, them. Like, wouldn't that just make you feel like, oh, hmm. Like the person living with the eating disorder, you mean? Yeah. Like when everyone around you is like, ooh, don't talk about that around them. No, exactly. That's the point. Like, I, I completely agree. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a reasonable way because you can't filter what's going on around you all of the time. Like, I just don't think it's reasonable to ask people not to talk about certain things. So that's why I'm like, I think it's important to talk about eating disorders in uh, the living experience of it. And knowing that when someone's talking about those other things, it doesn't mean that you're not okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I making Yeah. So like, I think it's important to be able to hear weight loss conversations as somebody living with an eating disorder, eventually, like sometimes you, when you get to a low point, like. When I first started recovery, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see anything about food or bodies. Like I had to really change my take on life. Like I had to read, I had to like, I like my, in my life, if it was a house, I completely bulldozed everything and I had to start from scratch. Mm. So, mm -hmm. now when, when you were starting from scratch, like what were, cause you know, when you were going to therapy, what were some of the tools that really helped you get off the ground in terms of recovery? Good question. Um, for me, the main thing that always got me through was maybe like, cause I was, for me, I always felt threatened by other people. It didn't matter if it was my mom, my best friend, somebody on the street, a cashier, a server. I always felt like I'm, you know, like I'm a bubbly outgoing, like, Hey, what's up? Like, I've always been like this, but I was also very uncomfortable. And like, I would be snappy or rude or like, for lack of a better word, a bitch. Mm. <laughs> and, um, it, it was, um, so I had to like learn to tell myself that that like I don't need to know everything that people are talking about. I don't need to have I don't have to engage with people if I don't want to. I may and I was always like maybe I'm okay as I am, maybe. And so I would like, and it it took like it took a lot of like just wearing leggings and hoodies for a while and be like, maybe if I put on a pair of jeans, I'll be okay. Mm. And our, it was this, it was very like starting recovery was like very into, like I was very close with my therapist, like texting her regulars, seeing her twice a week and just really focusing on, I want to live a good life. So it came into very incremental things. Like I was literally like re like fixing my life by going about everyday life, all the mundane things with the ideas, just like, 
I'm okay. I don't need to try to make up for eating yesterday. Eating's okay. Maybe today I'll, and it was it, you know, like, it would always be a lot of kind of like a puppy. Like when you, you know, when you're like trying to get a, like to, when you get a newborn puppy and you're trying to get them out of the cage and you're mm -hmm. trying to show them like, you can eat this food. You can drink this water. You can, this is your bed. Like that was what it was like for me, like teaching myself that I'm okay. I, I do belong. It just because I'm alone right now doesn't mean that I'm unloved. It just means that other people are living their lives. Right. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. It, 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 yeah, man. Sometimes the most, the most improvement you see is from the simple stuff. Yeah. Because we've like convinced ourselves of this belief for so long that you just need to slowly chip away at it. You're never going to tackle it right away because I personally have dealt with body dysmorphia pretty much my whole life as well. And you know, you get those days where you're like, that's it. I'm overcoming this today. I'm doing it right now. Stop being a little wimp. You're good. And then the next day you're like, I feel like shit again. So just chipping away at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like so, so many times I think like with body dysmorphia and recovering from like, like crazy, like eating patterns to like, you know, I think the eating patterns go hand in hand with the body dysmorphia. Um, like it's, the crazy up one day and then feeling shitty the next day. Like I did this so much with my therapist because I was very black or white. It's like, obviously I would either eat no food for months or I would eat all of the food in two hours. Mm. Like, <laughs> so like, I, so she, yeah, like exactly what you said, like chipping away at it, like throughout the day and be like, I'm not okay right now after having breakfast or whatever. And it's like, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to work on, uh, one of my coach, I had, I've hired so much help throughout this time. One of my coaches is like action beats anxiety. So it's like, have a shower, write in your journal, do a little bit of work, like do something like that. And then be like, and then afterwards you might be okay. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you know, like little in incremental steps, especially. Yeah. It would be like, depending on how my mental health was like on like a, a bad day, it'd be like, get up and drink a glass of water or like on a good day, it'd be like, go out, do your errands and don't body, don't look at yourself and all of the reflective glass that you see, you know? Yeah. And like, be like, maybe you don't need to check if you look okay. Maybe you can be okay. Just walking. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, so it was very much like that. And then over time, it just became, life just became more manageable. Like I was able to hold a conversation without feeling like I'm a burden or like I can go for a walk and people will be doing their own thing. And I'm not being, I'm not threatened by them. I don't have to be threatened. I don't need to be afraid of their judgment because they're probably really fixated on themselves anyways. Right. And yeah. So it just, over time, it was like, literally it's, it's to this day, like it's much different now. Like now I'm fully functional. I have a job, like I have 
relationships and like, you know, life in general is the best it's ever been. And it's so exciting. And like, I, my eating disorder still lives within me. Like the dialogue is still there, but I'm, I'm just, I've befriended it now. It's just kind of like, you know, it's like, I've let the puppy grow up and I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it's never going to go away, but now you know how to manage it. Yeah, exactly. I, the body just too. Yeah. Like I, I think that's, that's one of the issues, not just with eating disorders or body dysmorphia, but with mental health and uh, mental health challenges in general, the idea is that you're going to eliminate it completely right away. So when, when you have that belief, like for me, when I, when I had suicidal ideation, my belief was that it was going to go away completely. And then one day I had another thought where I was like, eh, you shouldn't be here, bro. And I remember thinking, what the hell? Like I've put all this work in and now it's back. But the idea isn't you're going to get rid of it. The idea is now you know when it comes back, what you're going to say back to it. Mm-hmm, totally. And like a proactive plan too. Like when I find when those things come up for me, like when I have like a setback or like when the, when the voice, when the voices, not the voices, but you know, like the dialogue and the feelings and the mm-hmm. thoughts come back in an old coping skill kind of way. It's kind of like, okay, what am I missing right now? what and it's like instantly did you sleep enough drink enough water did you eat and like no, normally it says okay you didn't eat cake go have go have some food and then come back to this and then um yeah just really basic things like did i see my therapist enough did i did i talk to have i been isolating and i haven't noticed like you know isolating in the mental health kind of way like the self isolate yeah right so Totally. And I think it's exactly, it's not about it going away. It's about knowing it's like, okay, am I, am I fulfilling the basic things that I know I need to do in order to be okay? Right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) No, yeah. Man, when you, when you were talking about, um, walking around and trying not to check every mirror, that struck a chord. I I remember if we if I was in an elevator and they had the the uh, mirrors on each wall, I'm like, oh shit, here we go, and I would just look at each one like every angle was different, and I was like, oh look at you, you're disgusting, and then you're just stuck in that elevator with your own thoughts. It's terrible. It just like you're allowed to walk around and not check yourself out, man. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. I've been thinking a lot about this because I'm like, well, I'm not always checking other people out. Like I don't Mm -hmm. really, like, that's just not really what I do. And I was like, why do I think that I'm, I'm getting this. And I think it's an unfair assumption that people are always judging my body or like thinking about my body or whatever, like female or male. Like, I just think that's kind of over throughout recovery. I'm like, maybe I was a little bit too concerned about my mind reading of what other, you know, like think, you know, a lot of like cognitive behavioral therapy is just like being able to acknowledge that, okay, you're stressed right now because you're trying to read someone else's mind, but that's an impossible task. So maybe, maybe figure it out differently. Like, I think that has helped a lot with body dysmorphia as well. Just knowing that other people aren't as fixated on your appearance as, as you are. So, and then there's also isn't the emotional response of other people's um, like the emotional response that you get, like, 
when you say like, oh, I'm disgusting or like for me or anybody, it's just like, I'm, oh, I feel disgusting or anything like that. It's just like, hey, you're having this panicked response, but it doesn't mean anybody else is Mm -hmm. experiencing anything like that. Um, Right. And obviously to fix your pain, but it helps be like, oh, maybe I can like ease a level, take a level, like take some of the weight off of my load. Right. It makes it clear. And that's kind of how I've looked like definitely like that step-by-step process. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's such a liberating feeling because I used to, I used to be the same way. I'm like, Oh, people are looking at me. People are looking at my body. They think it's gross. But then you, you take that step back and you're like, I'm not thinking about that towards any other person around me. Like chances are no one. And like to some people, this may be a, a thought that like scares them or makes them upset, but chances are no one really cares about what you're doing or cares about who you are in, in a random sea of people. If I'm walking in downtown Toronto, there's very few people that are going to stop and go, oh, no one cares. Yeah. So once you, once you realize that, whew, man, it's liberating. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's funny. It is, I, I, I agree with you. It is scary at first. It's like, nobody cares. But then the liberating part is like, wait a second, nobody cares. That means that maybe I'm okay as I am. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I think there's power within that disempowerment kind of like construct. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, no one cares. Therefore it's liberating or like, you can't really control how people react to your body. So maybe you can like try to just be okay with your own body. Cause your, your reaction is the only one that you can, that you have to live with every day. So definitely, I agree with you. There's a lot of liberation within that weird construct. Yeah. I mean, like people, people are going to judge you out there, but like mm-hmm. they're not going home with you most of the time you know, chances are they're not walking back with you and you're not stuck with that, those thoughts getting fed to you forever. It's the one thought within your own head that you're stuck with. Mm-hmm. So why not try to get that one to work as opposed to worrying about what other people are saying? Yeah, totally. That's an interesting one too. Cause like fear of judgment is something so many people live with. And like, I've contemplated because I ask, I talk about this a lot with like on Instagram or like girls on Instagram, like in messaging or like my clients and stuff. And like the fear of judgment is so complex. And I think that it really, because like I remember I used to have a lot of fears around that. But then it's just kind of like throughout recovery, it's just been like, okay, worrying about what other people think has not worked so far. Like you've only, you've been screwing yourself over. So maybe just try to like yourself. And then throughout that process, it all of a sudden it kind of like, yeah, you get that liberating feeling. It's like, well, maybe if I like myself, then it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and so like from an outsider, it's like, oh, that's an overwhelming statement. Nobody cares, but that's okay. It's kind of like going through it. It's, it's it builds up. It naturally works out over the time when you take the baby steps for each step. <laughs> yeah, right. No, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. Now, when, when you were going through the baby steps, was there ever a point where you saw that shift in your mentality or did eventually, did you kind of just look back and you're like, Oh, I'm actually good now. Mm, no, it was never like, Oh, I'm better now. 
it's just like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it takes a lot of effort. I'm not going to lie. I, it's taken a lot of, I, I've had my therapist. I've seen my doctor regularly. I, um, my whole family knows about how important this is. Like it's taken a lot of effort. Like it's not a, it's not, oh, I'm better now. It was never like that. It's always just me. I can trust myself and like what comes my way. I can handle it because yesterday you ate an apple. Like I went through a phase where I wouldn't even eat apples. It's like eat like little things. I ate an apple yesterday. Maybe I can eat a banana today. Mm. And like, and then it's like, okay, the banana was too much. I'll just go back to apples and then like eat apples for a while. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll try it something else and it was like the same for everything like learning how to eat food was the same as dealing with fear of judgment and like oh okay I was afraid to wear these jeans but maybe if I wear these jeans I'll be okay and then it's just kind of like building up like that and it's you know (laughs) a lot of effort to just and it's like really facing each fear individually and then every all the other fears are easier to deconstruct because you know, you're taking off less and less load every time you face and like put in the effort to be like, no, I have to, I have to do this. Like my life depends on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, for, for people, for like young girls listening who may be, you know, kind of in a situation where you were when you were younger and trying to figure this stuff out, you know, they, they might hear this and go, oh, it just seems like too much work. Like what's the, what's the point of even starting? Like, what would you want to tell them if they were kind of contemplating not even trying to get help because it just seems like that's too high of a mountain to climb? Yeah. I mean, I think when I think back to that point, it's not even about the mountain being too high. It's about fearing that getting help means that you're going to be, you're going to gain weight forever and you're going to be unacceptable and, um, you're going to be lazy and you can't be lazy and you can't, you can't gain weight. So there's all those fears kind of going on initially. So the biggest thing is just because you're working, prioritizing your mental health doesn't mean you have to give up exercise and eating healthy. It just means that maybe you can eat a greater variety of food without exercising three hours a day and still be okay. Maybe, maybe you'll be okay. (laughs) And like, it's not, so the biggest thing that when I talk to, I talk to so many girls and they're like, oh yeah, I want to get help, but I need to lose weight first. It's just like, okay, yeah, you, all right. If you want to lose weight, that's fine. But why don't you just put it on the back burner for like five minutes? And when I have conversations with people about this kind of thing, and I guess whoever's listening, if I'm talking to you right now, the listener, (laughs) like it's not that the opportunity to look good is going to be lost. If you give up your routines, what's actually going to happen is you're going to be able to stabilize your routines and be happy and be okay. And when you go to the gym, you can go to the gym and focus on anything other than the mirror and like stare at yourself in the mirror constantly and like worrying about what you see or like you can go out and not think about food or like plan ahead about how you're going to eat food for that week and like there's value in meal planning when it comes to I think a productive lifestyle but when it's a an element of control in your life and like you needing to eat a certain way like that's actually more exhausting 
you're that's more distracting that's numbing it's how often do like it's hard it's weird because it's easier it's the it's the image you think that the way you're living right now is easier but if it was easier then you wouldn't I mean you wouldn't be listening like you wouldn't be struggling right now it would you would be able to be happy with your own being in in your own skin and being able to handle conversations going on around you and knowing that it's not a reflection of you um and so it's like it's funny it's like the illusion that it's easier to stay where you're at but really it's harder in the long run so it's just kind of like which way do you want to go do you want to be miserable for the rest of your life or do you want to like deal with this be overwhelmed for a bit figure it out and then realize like oh maybe maybe there's more to life um it's kind of how I like to put it. It's just like, it's just be like recovery doesn't mean letting everything go. Like for, that was key for me. Like, I remember like my first therapy session bawling because of one of the cappuccinos I had. And I was like, I had a cappuccino and it was soy and it wasn't fatty, fat-free milk. And like, you know, just like breaking down. And she's like, well, how about what if the cappuccino is okay? And then maybe you can have a cookie too, or like a granola bar and like, or an apple. It's like, ah, you know? Um, so it's really about the baby steps. And it's really like, that's why it's kind of like the, like coaxing a, a puppy out of like a cage or like a kitten. It's just kind of like, maybe if you step out a little bit, it's not as scary as you think it is. And even better, maybe you can actually handle what you're afraid of. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's it's all about the baby steps. Now, you know, the, the last, Jesus, it's been like two years now pretty much. But, you know, with the lockdown, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of weight gain or weight loss, depending how you approached it. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have a distorted view of their body. You know, friends of mine have gained crazy weight. And they're not being very kind to themselves right now because of the fact that, you know, you look at pictures from before the pandemic and you're like, where'd I go wrong? And you're just beating yourself up. So there's a lot of that right now. There's a lot of body dysmorphia, maybe some unhealthy habits trying to get back to where they were before. What, how can those people start to love themselves again? The way that I always like to approach it initially is to contextualize where you're at and see kind of like, what went wrong and wrong. It's not actually wrong. It's more just look, treat yourself as a human for one, stop looking at yourself as a constant failure and just see that, you know, the pandemic happened. Okay. And if you've gained a lot of like pandemic weight, as they call it, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. You don't really leave the house much anymore. We life in general has changed a lot. Like mobility has been impacted by our inability to leave the house. So of course there's going to be that natural fluctuation there. And like working out in, like I'm somebody who can't work out at home. Like yeah. I just want somebody who can do it. Um, and even with the whole exercise thing, like there's so many, that could be a whole nother topic about what the type of exercise that you like and 
to do it in a sustainable way and to not have it as a, I hate my body. I need to burn off my food from yesterday or anything like that. Like there's so many layers to that as well. Um, and it, I mean, if somebody, if you're in that place right now and you're just like, that's how you approach working out and food choices, like, oh, I'm just shaking my head right now. It's like, uh, you need to address this because I talk to women. I have clients who are in their forties, fifties, sixties. And they're like, I've been living within like an underlying eating disorder my entire life. And now I, I can't handle myself. So like, let's prevent that is again, it's an illusion that it's easier to stay how it's going. It's like, no, it's not. Eventually it's going to catch up with you. So mm. like may as well try to live a health, a healthier, happier life than, um, you know, having a breakdown when you're older and you like, at the time when you're supposed to be able to, well, I know it depends on your life goals, obviously, but I want to be able to have like a night, like a stable household. So like the people in my life know that they can come to my place and that I will love them and that they'll be, they're safe and that they're okay. And they always belong. Cause I know what it's like to feel like you don't belong. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, knowing that like where you're at right now is okay. Where you're at right now isn't working. The way that you've been doing things obviously hasn't worked because if it did work, then you wouldn't be feeling this way now. Doesn't mean everything's bad and everything's wrong. It's just like, I can modify some things. And then kind of seeing this, it's an exciting thing to get to the point to be like, well, I've never really been happy in my body, even before I had gained all this pandemic weight. So maybe I can approach this body image thing differently. Maybe, and I keep saying like this maybe thing, and that's just be, I don't know, like it's this, it might be annoying, but like for me, it was very, it was like a lifelong hatred of my body, also myself. So it was just kind of like a lot of, you know, those tiny little things like you, you can do this, try. Um, and then just kind of seeing it as an opportunity to finally get to a place where you're not going to hate what you see in the mirror. Be like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try. Mm. And then I don't know, follow me. If you're in that situation, <laughs> little plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, go through Instagram and like unfollow the accounts that make you feel like you're not good enough. And cause it's so funny. Cause so often you think, no, I can't do this. I'm sure that a lot of people don't like to listen to this. They're like, no, I don't, I, that will be undisciplined. I'll let myself go. I'm not going to be okay. And it's like, well, no, if you put more rules in, then you're going to end up back where you are right now. Like, it's not about having more rules. Cause like I did that. I was like, by the end of like my the anorexia, I was eating avocados and which, you know, they're kind of high in calories, but I would eat like, you know, got the best bang for my buck. Like I could eat as little as possible, but still get the best calories. So I wouldn't die. Like it was mm. just kind of, like just, you know, get that fuel. So I, I wouldn't bloat or anything. And I promise you the more rules you put in, the more miserable you'll be because the more rules you're putting on life, um, Cause like food and exercise are a part of life. It moves you in the direction of where you want to go long-term. It shouldn't take over your life. And yeah, I tried, I tried to have it take over my life. And then obviously it succeeded in a very dysfunctional way 
and destructive way. So I would contemplate the idea of like, maybe you can reconceptualize how you value yourself. And especially most people have never been happy in their bodies. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, is weight weight loss this time really going to work? Probably not. Right. And like people, like even Megan Fox has body dysmorphia. It's just like, okay, well, if Megan Fox has body dysmorphia, it's just like, well, maybe, maybe getting a perfect body isn't the right solution then. Right. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, that's my approach to it anyways. In case you can't tell, I I have quite a, a, I have a lot to say and I, in my thoughts a lot, classic. (laughs) I'm in my head a lot. I think about a lot of these things. So hopefully it makes sense. No, it does. Absolutely. And uh, like, it's okay to be long-winded in, in this scenario, just because like, there's so many different angles you can approach it. Like one, one thing that I love that you said is at the very beginning, you were saying how, you know, some people, some people sit there and go, what have I done wrong? And it's about changing that and saying, what have I been doing as opposed to what have, have I been doing wrong? That small little tweak, because when you're sitting there going, what have I done wrong? It sounds like this scenario that you're in, you're never going to get out of. You're like, oh, you're fat now? Good luck for the rest of your life. Rest in peace. Say goodbye to the old you because you're never going back to that. And just having that small little change in the words is so yes. impactful. It's like, what have I done? Okay, I've done this. How do I get out of it? As opposed to what have I done wrong and why am I going to be here forever? That's a huge difference. It is. It so is. And that's really fuels like that whole black and white thinking that so many people do. It's like, (laughs) yeah, the doing, what am I doing? What's going on right now is so much more powerful than you're such a failure. Look at yourself. What did you do wrong? You fucked up again. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, we're so harsh to ourselves and just, you know, the little tweak is kind of like, okay, what, what can I do differently? And like, I don't know if somebody do, what can you do differently? It's like, for me, it was, I mean, for the start, it was you wait, you wake up and brush, brush your teeth and wash your face. Like even do, I was at a place where even doing that was like, I have to get out of bed. What? So if, if you're at a place where it's like, just get out of bed and go brush your teeth or if you're working and stuff, it's like, well, maybe you can get up 15 minutes earlier and listen to a meditation in bed. Like people also think that they like, in order to get healthier, they need to follow these strict things. But that's again, like all or nothing. It's like, no, like I've been on my like very focused mental health journey now for a few years. And even now I don't like getting up and meditating, but I do find value in like letting myself wake up peacefully. Mm. So I just like put on and a meditation and like lay in bed. And as I wake up, kind of like come in and out of it and then kind of like ease myself into the day and kind of like, this is another empowering thing, like another liberating thing to build off of. Like, what can I do differently? It's like, well, how about you do something that actually is enjoyable? Like, you know, you don't need to change everything, but like change a little bit and like at least have the ideas like, well, maybe, maybe this will make me feel better. So, right. Yeah. I don't know. always just reasoning with yourself and getting to a place to be like maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am and like I don't know I'm also I'm I was also very hard on myself for a long time so 
maybe this is a little more extreme than what some people, some of your listeners might resonate with. I'm not so sure, but. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I, I feel that too. Cause I, I'm, I've always been so hard on myself. So even just the basic, like, okay, what can I do differently? was a game changer when I was recovering because before it was like, you're such a piece of shit, bro. Like you're, you're so, you're so blah, you're ugly, you're lazy. And then you switch it to, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? And that's that switch as opposed to just sitting there and being like, well, that's just who I am. I'm getting get, I'm defined by, you know, I'm a piece of shit. Like that's just who I am by definition. As, as instead of looking at it like that and looking at it like, okay, if that's how I feel right now, how am I going to shift my mindset? That little tweak just helped me so much. Yeah, definitely. And like another thing I, when you said that it reminded me of like at that place where it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? I remember when I was at a low spot, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, right. I was like, I can't do anything right. <laughs> and like, I'm not la- I'm laughing not because not laughing at the people living with that experience or at myself either. It's just kind of like, well, me like ask for help. Like you don't even need to know what you're asking for. Like for me, I didn't know I was asking for help when I went to the doctor. I went to her and I was like, I'm so scared of gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And like, and then there, and then somebody else is able to, you know, the outsider perspective that you're unable to see because because uh, you're so entangled in your, you know, the life that you're living, the trauma and the anxieties that you're living with that have been, you know, building up over time, like having an extra set of eyes is so important. And like getting, I get, yeah, I kind of left that out. Ask for help. Even if you don't know what you're asking for, if you're in pain, like with yourself or struggling to get out of bed, living with suicide ideation, anything like that, just like say it, say it to somebody. But I also understand that it takes time. And normally, unfortunately, like for me anyways, I don't know about you, but I had to get to a really bad spot, like a do or die situation in an abusive relationship to be like, okay, time to ask for help. Like, and be actually ready to receive it. Like I had been getting help, but I wasn't at the place to be like, okay, you have to be a bit more active in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've not not with the abusive relationship thing, but it was definitely like a do or die situation. And unfortunately, that's just the way things go is you're more receptive when your life is on the line. You're like, okay, I get it now. When when in reality, like if there was just a way to tell everyone like, hey, man, you're you're worthy of love, by the way, you know, like you're you aren't the piece of garbage that you think you are and you're allowed to get help right now. If you could tell the whole world that and they all received it before things got messy, man, what a beautiful world. world. I, yeah, I was literally just about to say the exact same thing. I was like, the world would be so different because it would be filled of people who are functional on their own. Like I viewed, I only view myself as a functional person. Like there's, you're, there's functional people that exist. Like, you know, I, with you, me, everybody else, like you, everybody has like some sort of mental health thing or like trauma and like, you never know anybody's stories and we like carry on. So like we are able to function, but able, like getting able, being able to get to a place of like functioning and like being happy and like being able to like share ideas and 
I'm not talking about a utopian society or anything. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I believe that there's value in conflict, like, you know, arguments between people or whatever. I think that there's a responsible way to go about it, obviously. Um, not like a free for all or anything like, but I think that there's figuring things out with other people's perspective, I think is like a learning experience. So that's what I mean by there's value in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But being able, like a world of people who knows like maybe like you're not the piece of shit that you think you are. Yeah. It would just be a lot less painful, you know, because like each person carries a lot of pain with them and it just be yeah I don't know and a lot more honesty and vulnerability but that's really hard so yeah of course yeah I think I think more discussions will help propel it as close as it can get you know like what you're doing being so open about this stuff I think you know it's going to spark conversations I think it's super important because these are conversations that like you, you do more of your work with girls, but when guys hear this stuff, they're like, Oh, I actually am going through that too. There's a whole different, like girls and guys, there's a ton of people that just don't want to talk about it because it's so uncomfortable. And so, I mean, for me anyway, I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. I think it's going to help a ton of people. So thank you for everything you do, Hannah, seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you're so right. This isn't, yeah. Um, it definitely isn't a female only problem. And thank you as well for like owning like your dysmorphic experiences. And like one of my family members who's also lived with an eating disorder and like body dysmorphia is a male. And like, I, I've tried to delve into that realm and like talk about that. Actually, you you should come onto my channel on Instagram. That would actually be really valuable to talk about a male perspective of living with body just if you're ever comfortable with that <laughs> yeah of course yeah I mean, because yeah I, I receive messages from guys and they're just like you know I know this is for girls but you help me too it's like oh that's good I'm glad <laughs> yeah yeah no I'd be more than willing I mean I just said it on a podcast so <laughs> yeah, totally. foots out the door um Yeah, exactly. Now for anyone who's listening, who may want to, you know, learn more about you or, you know, reach out to you or, you know, follow your stuff, like where can they find everything? Yeah. So my Instagram is my main platform. Um, it's my name, Hannah Linnea with I'm at the beginning. So that letter I, the letter M and then Hannah Linnea. Um, I'm sure it'll be in the description. So Instagram is my main thing. The exact same is on my TikTok, and I have a uh, a YouTube channel as well, Hannah Linnea, and yeah, Linnea Hannah with an H at the end, and then Linnea L I N N E A. Most people don't know how to spell that, but yeah, um, Instagram for sure. And like, I am very active on Instagram. I always have. I'm always in my messages and. chatting with followers and that kind of stuff so because this stuff is important like I know how debilitating it is so that's why I love having conversations so thank you so much for providing an opportunity for us to discuss this and for me to blabber (laughs) (laughs) of course yeah (laughs) and I'll put all those links down below uh Hannah again thank you for all the work you do and thank you for coming on it was it was a blast 
Thank you. It was so much fun. You're so sweet, Harry. And like great work with everything that you do. And to the listeners, um, I hope that you know that you're okay as you are. And you got to start believing it. <laughs> yeah, you better. I'm going to end yeah. it with that. <laughs> to all my viewers, <laughs> see you guys next time. Thank you.